All right, it's morning huddle time. Good morning. You, no, I'm not saying it works. I wish you Godspeed. Godspeed with all of that. I think that's really, really nice. Um, I, you know, I'm not sure what kind of success you're going to have with that today because the world, my friend, has changed. Right. Latin American construction workers, they have different needs. They have completely different needs. These awards have a huge um, like criteria that you have to fill out and they usually have a community service or community relations portion. Them, uh, you know, the most productive uh, with a high performance value. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. Funny. Isn't a, yeah, I, not, not for me. Not for uh, me. At 11 o'clock, I am guaranteed to be snoring. So, so, um, <laughs> All right, it's morning huddle time. Good morning, Chad Prinky here, and I am missing Stacy Holzinger. Uh, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know exactly what to do without her, but I found Tom Hughes. Uh, Tom and I made fast friends last time he was on as a guest last season, so I feel a little more secure. Tom, thank you for for filling in. I'll I'll do my best to feel fill the uh, seal toed boots of Stacy. Yeah, it's not easy. It's it's Stacy's on vacation. She's just la di da, leaving me to figure it out. Uh, but no, I'm 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 uh, I'm thrilled to have uh, Tom here, uh, who who is um, he's kind of a guest host, but more of a guest slash host uh, today than a than a guest host because uh, we are joined by our guest, who's Kevin Hollenbeck from Genesis AEC, and, and those of you who caught Tom's episode last uh, season know that Tom is with Genesis AEC. Coincidence? I think not. Stacy had something to do with all of this. I had nothing to do with it, uh, but uh, but we, we're happy to have you, uh, Kevin, to, to, to join us and talk about integrated project delivery. Um, Kevin is the director of uh, design for Genesis AEC, and, and I'll, I'll let you kind of tell us what that means and um, maybe a little bit about your background, Kevin, just so that there's some context for our for our audience. Um, you know wh- wh- where where you're coming from. Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Chad. Happy to be here with you guys today. Uh, really excited to talk about this subject. Uh, I came out of school. I, I guess the the best way to go with this context of who, who I am or how I got here is because I came out of school in 2007. Uh, and came right into a firm that was working on life sciences and science and technologies. And the, the bubble of 2008 burst, uh, and we really didn't feel much of a blip. And, and that actually got me thinking of like, why can such, so much of the world be impacted, but life sciences and the work we're doing not? And, and it was because it's always needed. It's, it's something that is critical to advancing and making sure that everyone is taken care of that way. And that really, you know, hit home for me that I stayed in that realm ever since. I just have always been, uh, you know, a big advocate and fan of doing life science design. And and when I came to Genesis, uh, I took up the mantle of being a designer here on the architecture side, where I work with the design team and come up with the, the general programming, planning, vision of what this building wants to be and how it's, it wants to work and function. Uh, and then we would work with Tom and his team to, to turn that, that vision into a reality. Uh, been doing this here for just coming up on seven years now and uh, really excited to be here to talk with you guys today. Awesome. Well, good. So, so 
uh, as, as I think we've covered before, and I'll just, I'll, I'll spend uh, 10 seconds on it, is to just orient the world that, that Genesis AEC does um, really full scope. They're designing, they're engineering, they are procuring and they're construction managing. And that uh, full life cycle approach all under one roof gives us kind of an interesting ability to have a discussion about how it works in, um, in that context that... Uh, you know, I, I think realistically on the East Coast, we don't get nearly enough of, um, you know, stories where people are carrying projects from from start to finish. But today we're going to we're going to flash outside for the for the most part, I think, of uh, of, of your integrated walls. And we're going to talk about the integrated project delivery model. Um, and we're going to talk about how you know, basically what it's about how you're applying it to your world, what it looks like and, and acts like in your uh, space. And I'm going to leave Tom in the conversation the whole time, but understand, Tom, I'm asking questions to Kevin, damn it. And, <laughs> all right. All right. And, and right. Kevin, if you want to pull Tom into the conversation, you can do that of course. Um, uh, where it makes sense. But uh, let's just start off with a quick primer on integrated project delivery. For those people who are joining and they're not exactly sure what integrated project delivery means, they may have heard IPD, but they're not uh, you know, totally up to speed with what it's about. Let's start there. Give, give us a primer on IPD. Sure. So, you know, everybody knows the classic design bid build paradigm that we've, you know, we've done and executed for years upon years. And at some point people started to say like, this takes a long time. There's, and, and there's a lot of problems and, and along the way, uh, and there's got to be a better way to do this. And, and out of that came the idea about design build and well, let's have the CM and the contractors have the, the design underneath them as an umbrella. And then that's going to sort of remove one of the hurdles. Um, well, in some ways it created some other problems. Um, so people kept learning, people kept evolving that and from design des, or design bid design build sorry design build we we got a bunch of different ones that sort of spawned out of that with little variations amongst them and one of the core ones there was ipd ipd being what if we just keep all the partners as respective partners doing what they do best but we link them together in a way something contractually uh or with a, a vision and a goal, both uh, that that says, here's here's how we are tied. Here's how we are going to work together. Here's how we are going to succeed together by setting up really strong, clear ground rules that that take advantage of everybody's positive strengths um, and sort of leverage each other to remove a lot of the negatives that come along the way. Um, that's been really great uh, for for us, and I think for the industry. It's, it's allowed people to see that there is more out there than that's just the way we've always done it kind of mentalities around here's how you build a thing. Yeah, the, the thing that I love about integrated project delivery as a concept, the thing that I love about it is that it, it, it places what I think is the appropriate value on, on the subcontracting community's expertise and ability to lend uh, a, a hand in making the project make the very most sense based on uh, on the goals and i think you know the design community has their skill set and ability 
uh, overlaying that with the specialty, you know, with with focused trade contractor experience, um, you know, ha- has I think the potential to create a lot of uh, to create better outcomes, to create efficiency, and to have a happier owner at the end of the day. But central to this whole point in, in, in integrated project delivery. I think the thing I want to learn more about and, and, and emphasize maybe is that the only way that this works Mm -hmm. is if the, um, specialty contractors, the subcontractors are selected first before, you know, they're, they're selected based on criteria other than their bid on the job because there's nothing to bid, you know, really uh, on the job. So, um, I guess walk through how that procurement works in, in IPD projects. How does a, how does a subcontractor end up, you know, joining the team? What's the right way to procure? So, so I am going to invite Tom to, to join in on this piece of the conversation because he is, you know, the the VP of RCM group. Uh, So he has unique knowledge on this. But from my perspective on the design side, you know, one of the tenants that I really place a lot of importance on is just trust, right? We want to bring these people in on day one so that we can trust their knowledge. You know, I said before, we want to leverage everybody's strengths. That includes all of the subs. They have strengths that, that we don't. Um, they know how things go together in the field, in the real world. And they, they've got that experience behind them that says, here's what's going to work. Here's, you know, honestly, this is going to be a a big headache and it's going to slow us down. Um, Is there a way that we can change that, that approach a little bit? And so on the design side, the biggest thing I'm looking for is that, that sort of creative insight and that knowledge base of we've done this before. We know how, how it's worked well. We know how it's worked really poorly. Uh, And now let's come to the table on day one and talk about how to how to avoid those pitfalls. So on the design side, that's, that's really what I'm looking for. From yeah. One of those teammates. Yeah. And, and um, on the pre-con side, you know, it's more of a interview than a request for proposal. You know, you're going through, you're looking at their past history. What are their design assist capabilities? What are their prefabrication capabilities? You know, have they done projects like this before? You know, we're bringing in, hand-selected pre-qualified contractors that we've worked with in the past so that we know that we're going to be successful for, uh, successful with. And it's, you know, all in an effort to set everything up for success right from the beginning. Um, And you're going with, you know, trusted partners. Uh, It's an open book process. So you can see what hours they have for design assist, what hours they have for shop labor, what they're thinking. And you're going in on, you know, you may be going in with 30% drawings that it's like, okay, we're giving you kind of the, the skeleton. You got to fill in the, the muscle and the sinew and the organs. Like it's up to, we want to, we want to utilize your expertise to help fill in those gaps. Um, and, and we want to understand from you how you're going to do that. So it's not, we're telling them what to do. It's we're asking them, what are they going to do in order to, um, you know, help this project be a success? Awesome. All right. So, so in that description, 
you said something that I, I know from personal experience with uh, the the subcontractors I work with is a bit of a hot button. And you, you, you use this this term open book. And um, and it's interesting because I think when you look at the you know, I, I don't know, I guess I guess the trend over the past 20 years or so, and I know it's been around longer, but the 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 it's so common that general contractors are operating in an open book way with owners on their projects they are showing the multiple prices from subcontractors but all those subcontractors prices are lump sum and that's the way everybody's used to doing it you know even in an open book setting the subcontractors have really not been operating in a truly open book fashion um, in some markets, you know, if, if, if you're watching this and you're in, um, you know, LA, you might be saying, of course we have. Right. But in Philly or DC or in, in, you know, Boston or in, in, uh, you know, Raleigh, we haven't. And, uh, it's, it's not been something that, that subcontractors are used to. So Kevin, talk about the mindset that a subcontractor really needs to have and talk about what open book actually means for, for, for the subcontracting community. So for, for us, for open book, it, you know, it's not just about the numbers, obviously that is important. Um, but it's about generating a, an understanding of how do we manage the risk reward on the project so that we are always out ahead of those, those problems. We're always out ahead of the surprise, right? Surprise is a, <laughs> Surprise is a dirty word in, in, in this industry because it means that something's gone wrong uh, almost all the time. Nobody's like, surprise, we're two months ahead of schedule. Like, no, no, that it's surprise, you know, we're always three months behind. Um, so it's about managing that risk reward and opening up the books gives us one avenue to do that. And it's not intended to be uh, a stick that we're beating people down with, right? We open our books up to the client um, so that they see how their money is being spent and they see that it's being uh, managed effectively to reach the end of the job. And so we're, we're looking for the same because if there's a problem, if there's a, you know, a surprise that shows up, we see it coming. And it's not just all on that sub to deal with that problem. It's now we're a team and now we're saying, okay, this is coming down the road. Let's let's put a plan in place to make sure it doesn't happen, right? That's that's the thing we want to to get out of that open book nature is we don't want problems. So what if we are just proactive and and avoid them altogether? I mean, it's a it's a bit pie in the sky. It's you know that's the perfect world scenario, but that's the goal. Um, and and I think that that open book, you know, that that book goes beyond the project. The project is looking at how are we managing the money today? How are we managing the, the schedule, et cetera, et cetera. But the, that, that open book spans to how are we doing this project? What does that mean for the next one? And what does that mean for the larger five-year plan of, it's not just about uh, a line item, it's about what does this project mean for your future work? And look at having that that six or two month or two year look ahead to say, 
we're doing this today to set ourselves up for that down the road. And that, that communication, that, that transparency expands beyond just a book. It expands to like, why are we doing this? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, you used a term there just at the end that I want to emphasize, which is, I think what I'm pulling away from it is it's, it, there's a, a value of transparency, a mindset of achieving no surprises. And to do that, we're just going to be totally transparent. And, and along those lines, uh, I'll tell you that one of, you know, um, statistically subcontractors are making a net business profit of something like an average of six or so percent, um, nationally. If we were to interview all of them, I think they would all tell you that that is not enough for them to justify the risk of running their business and having the the myriad employees that they have and having all of the you know responsibility and um, uh, payroll that they're carrying to to get the work done. Six percent's not enough. It's the average, but it sucks. And what I think um, they're gunning for is double-digit net profits, somewhere in the in the 10, 12, 14 percent, maybe more if they're able to get it and, and run a really efficient operation kind of range. Let me ask straight up as, as, a, as, a trade, as, a, as a trade contractor, is there money to be made in integrated project delivery or are these projects that I'm going to be in making average money and, and, and you know, sort of walking away, um, you know, uh, at least, Hey, at least I didn't lose money. <laughs> you know, like, what's sure. what, how am I going to feel at the end of an IPD project? If I'm an electrical or if I'm a mechanical or if I'm a drywall contractor or fill in the blank. Yep. So, so the short answer is yes, there is money to be made. Um, it's not going to be made in the same way. And, and here's, here's why, uh, the, the typical design bid build, right? The, the, how we got to that 6%, how we got to that, that countrywide average has been by leveraging a, a, an antiquated system in a lot of ways. It, it doesn't allow for absorption of those surprises that we talked about. IPD as a whole says, we don't want to absorb surprises. We want to avoid them altogether. Right. And so the profit isn't made by just putting in a higher number. The profit is if I bring you in on day one or day 10, you know, Tom said, we got, we got 30% drawings, right? So let's talk about how we get them to hundred percent. If I bring you in as a sub and you can start influencing and guiding the design to make sure that it's not only successful as a building on my side, but is being executed efficiently from your side, it's about how do we do it faster, less materials, more efficiently. You might be able to staff a project that if it was a regular design bid build with, with four phases, you might have six or seven guys out on the site because that's how you need to structure it. But if, we've, if you know exactly what it is the day you put boots on the ground, you could say, you know what? I only need four guys on this project. And yeah. I think I'm going to be able to shave a month off of my initial timetable because I know everything I'm getting myself into. That's, that's how you increase that profit is by, by minimizing that, that risk. And then by knowing what you're getting into, you, you maximize the reward. 
So, so in a traditional uh, IPD project, my understanding is that there are essentially, you know, incentives. There are contractual financial incentives that would encourage us to get things done faster, more efficient, more efficiently. And there are disincentives that if we're if we're all falling behind, everybody's going to uh, suffer through that. So we really are yoked together as one team. In our prior conversations leading up to this discussion. It, it sounds like what you've done is you've taken the spirit of integrated project delivery without the contract. Talk a little bit about what you're doing um, there and, and you know, how, how that's working for you. Sure. Sure. So we, we employ a model called EPCM, Engineering Procurement Construction Management. And it's kind of like a, a you know, a cousin to, to pure IPD because it relies much more heavily on the design assist aspect of, of the relationship and not as much on the, the contractual limitations that set us up in, in your standard pure IPD format. Uh, we have found that it, it works really well uh, because it, it gives enough freedom to the group at large while still binding us together with a common goal. Um, and, and that goal is, obviously to, to, make, to make profits, but in the life sciences where we do most of our work, that is very often a bigger issue or a bigger incentive beyond just doing that one project. It's about doing that project and the next project and the next project and the next project. So, so it's, it's building those, those core tenants you know, the, the trust, the transparency, the collaboration, communication, all of those core tenants of IPD, it's taking those and applying them to a long-term goal set that says, we're going to do this project and we're going to build a, a, an even stronger team through it where everybody's going to make money, uh, but also everybody now knows how to work together, right? It's, it's, it sets us up even better for the next one and better for the next one. And I've always felt like IPD, whether it's IPD or joint ventures or uh, you know, EPCMs, et cetera, it's always about building a strong, cohesive team that you can then trust moving forward and you bring them into the next project and the next project because now we know how to work together. Is that in any way made explicit? And in, in other words, is there any, I, I, I get, there's always that implicit you know, desire to make a happy customer and get the next one and, and build a partnership and all that kind of thing that exists. Um, but it's, it's usually sort of implicit. It's not something that's, that's openly discussed. Right. Is that something you're openly discussing? And are you really putting yourself on the hook and saying like, listen, we're going to pull you into the next one and you can take that to the bank or here's a contract that guarantees you the next one. Is that, is there any way of, 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 um, yeah. Are you putting yourself on the hook? I think we're nobody's to, to my knowledge. I, I can't say we are. I can't say we're you know writing contracts that promise work we don't have. Um, but but as much as you know, this is a small industry. It, it, for as big as the building industry is, it's pretty small. Uh, you know, and if you're doing work in a particular sector, you 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 tend to see the same faces over and over again. Um, that relationship has value. Uh, we if. If we're trying to build a relationship and and a sub or a contractor falls falls short, 
you know, that puts a sour taste in our mouth, but the same can be said the other way around. And, and so we want to do good by those contractors because either they're going to want to work with us again or they're not. And, and if they don't, then, you know, negativity spreads a lot faster than positivity. Yeah. So while we can't necessarily write a contract for work we don't have, um, you know, building that, that trust. And, and when somebody says to me, Hey, who's the electrician that you would recommend using on, on our site? You know, we're looking for a new person. I've got the list of, of the people that I've worked with over and over again, even if they've never worked on that site, I'm comfortable putting their names out there because I know they do good work. Um, yeah. That's that relationship we've built. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, so I'm, I'm hearing you say it's implicit, but we put our money where the mouth, where our mouth is and, we, we and, try. and the behavior, right. And the behavior, uh, we, we, our actions speak louder than words and, and, you know, the, uh, that type of stuff. But I, uh, and then, and then last question, and then I know we have some stuff from the, from the audience that we want to try to get to here, but, but my, my last question is, um, just tangibly for, for a, for a trade, for, you know, yeah, for, for a subcontractor, what is my contract going to look like? Am I going to have any not to exceeds? Am I going to have any, you know, a guaranteed maximum? Am I going to have any, or, or is it, tr is it truly going to be, here's my labor rate. Here's my cost of materials. Here's my estimate. Here's my estimate, but it, it, it then is what it is. Like how, how do, how does my, how do I get paid? Uh, is, is I guess the question I would, I would just directly ask because that's something as, as our, as our building community here, uh, mm -hmm. wraps its head around this, they, they need to figure out if it's something that they're interested in, in pursuing. Yeah. Well, you know, when it comes to how do the subs get paid, Tom's the VP of the CM group. So he's the I best one to answer, there, but, but you know, it's a little, every project's a little different is what I can say. You know, the, the nice part about the EPCM model is that it is not as hard and fast as right. pure IPD. IP, you know, that has, that has rules and expectations and it, it lays all of that stuff out quite rigorously. Um, and, and you can really take it to a, an, an extreme place. The EPCM model gives a little bit more variability to, to tailor the needs to all parties, which I think is, is something I really like. And Tom, you can speak a little more too. Yeah, so uh, the, the way we typically do it, you know, we'll set up and engage in a, you know, basically a design assist contract with a budget for everything post design assist. And we'll see, uh, you know, it'll basically be an open book on what that, what their, what it, everything that's encapsulated in their bid. Uh, and that's going to be a, you know, a living, um, estimate that's going to it's continuous estimating as we move through the design of the project and when we get to a point where we're ready to award the full contract you know 99.9% .9 of the time we're going with that same contractor but if in the course of continuous estimating there becomes a disagreement on what this uh, you know what the value should be and what that um, what that total uh, estimate should be, we can pull back and, and put that back out onto the street. But the big thing is, is gaining the trust. You know, the, the biggest thing in this, that we don't, you know, we don't refer to them as, as contractors. It's, it's trade partners. There's a, there's a trusted partnership there and that trust goes both ways. Uh, there's a question in the chat that, that asks about that, but that's one of the, one of the major things is that we've got to build trust 
with the client. And then we've got to build trust with the trade partners. Um, and this process helps to build that trust. Yeah. And, and then once they've gone through their design assist and it's ready to actually go to award, are you then awarding a lump sum contract or, or, you know, yeah. how, how's that yeah. work? It's, it's awarded as a lump sum contract. Got it. Uh, but it's a lump sum contract that you've seen what their actual materials budget is, what their actual labor budget is and what their actual proposed profit is. Correct. Leading into it. And then to Kevin's point, all right, now if you can turn this into more money uh, because you were able to do it more efficiently, great for you. There's nothing, right. there's nothing wrong with that, right? That's great. If you're able to make more profit on it, uh, great for you. And it works just like a normal lump sum at that point. But I'm, I'm assuming we're operating in a zero change order environment at that point. Um, well, no, I mean, but it depends on the, the driver of the change order, right? Right. Of course. If, if it's a coordination issue, then no. But right. if it's, if it's an owner-driven change or a true scope change, then absolutely. And yeah. we go through the same process again and we look at it and we challenge it and we go through it and we're fair. Yeah. All right, cool. Uh, let's get to some of the questions from the, uh, from the chat. Uh, what do we have, Tom? What's, what's sure. hanging out there? So this was, the, this was the one I had just kind of referenced and it says sometimes subs fear that they will give information design bids that will be a waste of time because the owner will put it out to bid to get the lowest price using the subs info. And that kind of goes back to, um, you know, the trust, the trust factor. You can't build a trusted relationship by operating in that fashion. Um, Kevin, I don't know if you wanted to add anything to that. No, I mean, the, one of the biggest goals that we said before is right. If you bring, if you bring a person on or team member on early on in the project, and they've helped you develop the the actual method for putting this project together. Um, there's a confidence that I've seen come from our clients that they they assume that 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 knowledge base is going to yield the best price because you know how it's going to go together, right? The the the, the surprises that come from design bid that people say, oh, you know, I looked at the drawings, but I didn't, I didn't notice that detail. Like I, I, I skipped over that detail. Well, it's in there. Um, now somebody's got to figure out how to, to make that detail a reality. And somebody's probably losing some money along the way. If we have a system set up that people know, uh, and I'm going to actually, if I can chat, I'm going to tell a, a very short story on, on something that gives an example for this. If we know going in, then you, you take that off the table and, and it really allows everyone to, to move forward with, with believing that that is the right, that's the right number, that's the right person to provide that number. Uh, and the, the, I was working on a project uh, about a year back where we had uh, a demolition of an existing portion of a facility. And through that area, there was an egress path. So our, uh, you know, on the design side as an architect, my primary focus is life safety. Everything else comes after that. But I needed that corridor to remain intact during construction. Unfortunately, it literally cut right down through the middle of the construction area. Uh, and there, we, we studied it six ways to Sunday, but there was no way 
to reroute it. It was just, it was landlocked in this way that it had to go where it was. Um, and so we all got around the table and the, you know, the contractors were not happy <laughs> that I kept drawing this, this piece down the middle and said, you got to build this first. And they were like, this throws off my phasing. I can't do this efficiently, right? I just want to start here and just go across the, the site, right? That's, that's how I want to operate. And you've put a roadblock down the middle. And, and it started very contentious, but then I said, look, here's why I'm doing it. Here's why I have to insist on this. This is the, I can work with you on everything else, but this is the part I cannot yield on. I have, I have to have this. So tell me what you need. What do you need to do your job? And they said, well, I need, I need a means to get all of my conduit and my ductwork and, and everything from one side of that wall, that hallway to the other. And I need to be able to do it in an efficient manner. And, and I said, okay, I hear you on that. Give me, give me 24 hours. Let me go back and think about this. Came back the next day and I said, all right, what if I give you at set intervals, overhead galleyways, where I take my corridor and then I build fire rated protected galleyways that you can run all of your stuff at every 15 feet. There's gonna be an opening of a certain size for you. And now as a design assist partner, can you design a system that routes yourself through those galleyways without impeding your schedule? They chewed on that for a minute and they said, let me come back in 24 hours. 24 hours later, they had a plan. They said, we can do this we can change. We can change our phasing, and not lose any time on this. It's about meeting halfway. That's what it's about. That's what the design assist process is all about. I love it. That's a great story, and 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 it is amazing how when people just communicate uh, to each other what they need, um, and, and and focus more on on you know their needs and being open to accommodating the other person's needs, there's almost always a middle ground, right? Absolutely. So yeah, that's awesome. All right, cool. Do we have anything else from the, uh, from the audience, Tom? Well, I'm, I'm going to consolidate. Uh, Mark Drury has a, has a lot of good insights and comments on IPD and the, the, the key to IPD transparency that differs from design build in that the con in the contractual relationship is singular. All early participants sign the same agreement, owner, architect, GC, MEP, structural law, structural, et cetera, and share the risk and reward equitably, um, which, you know, we kind of discussed the way that we do it to, is a little bit different. It's, it's a little bit of a modified version, but, you know, we're, we're of the understanding of that's how the, a traditional IPD work. Um, and in IPD, the pre-construction phase becomes embedded in design and equipment materials and methods. Shop drawings become part of design development. Um, and it has to be owner-driven it's an upfront investment in intelligence. Yeah. Uh, Mark, I think I conveyed your comments there. If you want to give me a thumbs up. <laughs> <I'm gonna add. laughs> I would say, Mark, you're, you're a hundred percent correct. You know, that, that upfront investment comes from every party, you know, the, the subs and the, the trade partners are, are putting their time and their, their intellectual knowledge out there as a resource to the team to advance the project faster. That requires owners to, to commit to certain things along the way before we are fully designed and documented pre-purchase specifications and and early packages are a very real thing in ipd because that's how you that's how everyone commits but also that's how you advance that schedule along 
you know that the thing you need is going to be there when you need it. And if you backtrack from there, you don't have time to wait until it's everything's 100%. Agreed. Agreed. Um, all right. Uh, we're up on time. Uh, this has been a great conversation. Uh, Kevin, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Tom, thanks so much for helping to, uh, uh, you know, engage with the, um, with the live audience. Um, uh, you know, I know you won't take any offense to this. You're no Stacy. Well, uh, but I, you are wonderful in your own way. I, I appreciated being the uh, the guest slash host, kind of like a like a player manager. I'm like the, <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the Pete Rose of podcasts. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly and right. I, and I, I bet on my own. Gordy Howe. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. Um, well, good. So, uh, Kevin, thanks again uh, for joining. Tom and I are going to do a quick uh, wrap up and, and prep for next time. Uh, we hope you'll stay in touch, Kevin. Thanks so much. Thanks, Chad. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Bye. So, uh, so, so, so Tom, next week, uh, we've got, uh, an episode on GPS earthwork takeoffs with Ryan Lancer. Is that, are, are you up on GPS the, uh, earthwork takeoffs? Dirt Jedi, Obi-Wan Ryan over there. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about this one. Um, you know, we, we do get to do, uh, projects where we're building out of the ground. So, um, this is something that I'm definitely going to be interested in. It'll be you'll be seeing my name pop up in the comments next week. Um, uh, and, and it's, he's using, you know, GPS and drone technology uh, for uh, layout and, uh, you know, estimating layout, uh, which, which seems really cool. I'm, I, I dug a little bit into, into what he does, um, but I'd like to, to hear it from the horse's mouth as it were. Yeah. We're all about, uh, positive change and uh, it, it, you know, efficiency gains uh, often fall into that category. I'll be interested to hear what you gain and what you lose. And, and if there's, if, you know, if there are, are specific applications where it makes sense and specific applications where it doesn't, but, uh, but we look forward to that conversation. Um, uh, and, uh, and also as always, uh, please uh, email Stacy H at steeltocom.com if you want to be added to our mailing list. It makes it really easy to keep up to speed with what we're doing. If you miss an episode, it gives you all the links to catch up with that. It also uh, gives you the ability to just register directly through there instead of you know trying to find the event or hoping you get the invite through through LinkedIn. Um, uh, I think that's about it, Tom. Anything else on your mind before we wrap up? Um, no. That's about it. I appreciate uh, you allowing me to uh, kind of guest host here, and it's been fun. Uh, good conversation with Kevin. Uh, you know, Kevin and I do these things a lot together, so uh, you know we got a natural rapport. Just yeah, like you guys, you, you, you seem like a, a like married couple. It's very nice. <laughs> cute. I would describe it as cute. All right. See, you. I'll see you later, Tom. I appreciate you being here with us, man. It was great for you to stand in, and and I uh, look forward to seeing you again soon. All right, bud. Absolutely. See you later. Bye, everybody.